This episode is brought to you in part by Richmond Graduate University. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly. Richmond Graduate University can equip you to become a licensed professional counselor, integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. You're listening to Seeing and Believing, a film and television podcast that searches for the sacred on screen. I'm Wade Bearden. And I'm Kevin McClinathan. And I have to say, Wade, I'm a little bit at a loss right now because I was going to ask you for your best cartoonish Italian accent to kick off this week's episode. But, you know, we just had a, a unexpectedly deep talk about stereotyping and whether or not it would be offensive before we hit record. So now I don't really know what to do with myself. I'm, I'm at completely at sea. We, we don't want to be offensive to anyone. So we're going to go ahead and put those Italian stereotypes aside for this episode. Is it okay if I still wear this cardboard mustache that I cut out of the uh, frozen pizza box that, that I had for dinner tonight? I mean, it's okay as long as I can continue to wear this hair wig I made out of spaghetti. Horrifying. I'm glad this is an audio-only format. <laughs> Listeners, today we are reviewing the new film from Pixar. It's directed by Enrico Casarosa, and it's called Luca. Yeah, it's going to be a great episode on episode 294 of Seeing and Believing. Mother of Pearl. You live up here? Yeah, me and my dad. He's not even here a whole lot, so I pretty much just do whatever I want. Isn't it dangerous? Yeah, it's the best. Everything good is above the surface. Like, what else? Air! (gasps) (coughs) Gravity, also known as falling! The sky, clouds, the sun. Whoa, don't look at it. Just kidding. Definitely look at it. Listeners, we are here with episode 294, and Kevin, I think the best part of our episodes every single week is not our just in-depth reviews, our intellectual masterpieces of conversations, um, but our intros, and that's where I have the most fun, and hopefully we didn't offend anyone (laughs) today. I, I I don't think I you know I think we stayed on the right side of being offensive, but I don't know, Wade. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to spend a lot of time unpacking the the image of you with spaghetti hair. <laughs> yeah. In therapy, that's that's gonna take me a while to to kind of erase from from my mind's eye. So I I apologize to any listeners who might be facing the same <laughs> same fate. <laughs> Wade's hair based on a horror film coming from A24, uh, Spaghetti Hair. <laughs> Well, listeners, we are here. We're going to be reviewing Luca in just a moment. I want to talk for a bit about our Patreon campaign. You listeners support us, and we are just so thankful that you do that. We have a a newer Patreon supporter, James Hutton, and we've mentioned him in the podcast before, but he actually has just sent in his request review. So he's at this donation level where he can actually request a review on the show. That's for $10 and up. And I'm really excited 
about the film that we're going to review on his behalf because he's asked us to review the 1999 film from Paul Thomas Anderson, Magnolia, Kevin. We haven't we haven't reviewed that on the show. I feel like we've briefly mentioned it, but that's going to be a good conversation. Yeah, I'm looking forward to revisiting that movie. I haven't seen it since my initial watch, I don't know, maybe like 10 or 15 years ago. So it's one that, you know, it's the thing that put uh, Paul Thomas Anderson on the map for a lot of people. And it seems like it'll be a good one for conversation on the episode. So definitely listeners and James, especially keep an eye out for that episode in the in the near future. Yeah, so that's going to be good. Thanks, James. For that, and we've got some other listener recommendations coming here over the last uh, next couple of months. So that's going to be exciting. You can support us by going to patreon.com forward slash seeing underscore believing underscore podcast, a number of different donation levels. One of those is the $5 level. You don't get your own review every year, but you get some other perks. And Kevin, I, I was thinking about this today as I was uh, making the spaghetti noodles. Uh, what could someone buy? What could someone buy for five bucks? Uh, five dollars, man. You know, I I blew my uh, cardboard Italian mustache idea, so now I don't know. I'm gonna have to go through this archive of things I have that cost five dollars. But I don't know. I feel like five dollars would probably be good enough for uh, you know, uh, eye toothbrushes. You know, like if you. If you really have some of that, you know, you know, gunk in your eyes or something that just really is tenacious, you know, Q-tips and and cotton balls just don't do the job, then uh, a small little toothbrush meant for just getting the finer hairs of your eyelids seems like a, a good use of five dollars if that's the sort of thing that that plagues you yeah. often. Yeah, don't. Man, I don't know about that one, Wade. That one that well. is borderline. <laughs> I don't mix that one up with the steel brush. Um, because then you'll need an operation that will cost more than $5. Uh, but if you would like to become a Patreon supporter, you can head on over to patreon.com forward slash seeing underscore believing underscore podcast. We're going to jump into our review for today's episode. It's Luca. Here's the film's official synopsis. Set in a beautiful seaside town on the Italian Riviera during the 1950s, Luca, directed by Enrico Casarosa, is a coming-of-age story about one young boy, voiced by Jacob Tremblay, experiencing an unforgettable summer filled with gelato, pasta, and endless scooter rides. Luca shares these adventures with his newfound best friend, voiced by Jack Dylan Grazer. But all the fun is threatened by a deeply held secret. He's actually a sea monster from another world just below the water's surface. Kevin, this is a Pixar film. And Pixar is perhaps best known for its sentimental stories as well as stunning visuals. And Luca definitely swims down this current. Let's go ahead and begin our review with a look at the latter. What did you think? of Luca's production design and animation. One of the film's goals, it seems, is to immerse us in this breezy Italian village. In your opinion, do you think Luca is successful in transporting viewers to this colorful world outside of their own? 
Yeah. So uh, Enrico Casarosa, the director, uh, is probably best known up until this point for being the director of another Pixar film, not a feature film, but one of their shorts titled La Luna. And it's uh, I, I remember seeing that in the theater, just being utterly charmed by it. It's just this this fun little animated short about two fishermen who kind of are fishing on uh, a celestial sea, shall we say. It's not, uh, it, there's a, a moon nearby and it's just very whimsical and beautiful. And I liked it a lot. And I think that the sort of sensibility that went into that short film is definitely apparent in in this feature debut the especially in these sequences where we see these these two young characters these two friends kind of letting their imaginations run wild on the possibilities that are in front of them and in those sequences you kind of get the same whimsy and the same kind of um dreamlike fantastical visuals that we see in that short film. And I think that that is where uh, this film is at, is at strongest. It's definitely, for a Pixar film, you mentioned that they are best known for you know their sentimental tales, and I definitely think that's true. They're also really well known, I think, for uh, films that are have very either high concepts or very ambitious concepts. Like they, they aren't the sort of studio that... Uh, has made their name on uh, easy celebrity voiced uh, cartoons with you know lots of lots of easy you know jokes. They swing for the fences most of the time. And I think what's interesting about Luca is it's it's pleasant, but for my money, it's pretty unremarkable. There's not a whole lot of uh, high stakes going on here. And it, and in fact, I think the film's maybe at its weakest. When it tries to really gin up some some conflict in the narrative with uh, this this villainous bully character who pops up throughout the film, I think those are the moments where I think this film works the least, and I think it actually works the best when it's just letting us sort of vibe along with it and enjoy watching these these two friends' relationship unfold and their their dreams evolve. So I wouldn't say it's my favorite of the Pixar films, but it's. For what it is, it's it's good, and I think it's a very pleasant watch, especially if you're looking for something nice and relaxing on a summer afternoon to enjoy. Yeah, I mean, I think the visuals in this movie are pretty pretty amazing, and there there's something about I use the word Im- immersion. There's something about a film like this, based in a specific locale, that's just almost pulling you into this environment i i want to go visit this village <laughs> if this village were real i would i would love to plan a vacation here it's just idyllic and i love the contrast between the the world below the surface which is which is not a terrible place uh it's just pretty dark it's it's murky and then we we get up to this village we get up above the surface and it's just beautiful and and it's it's bright and it's it's ideal and i love how the animators frame and design this world and then you mentioned 
two, the sort of storybook animated sequences, these sequences that take place within the minds of the characters. And it, it does feel like they're in a, a pop-up book. Uh, they're imaginative. Uh, the, these these moments are are witty and the characters interestingly enough have a almost like a puppet like quality to their design but i think it's a testament to the animator's skill that their emotions still really kind of shine through like the sunlight here like we still get these fully realized characters uh within it, what I feel like is a, a unique visual design for Pixar. Now, the story isn't really much. As as the movie began, I was just kind of marking down, okay, w- you know, which cliche are they going to hit next? Uh, parents telling their, their child not to go to the to the to the you know scary world, uh, a child who has big dreams, uh, an aloof father, a grandparent who wants to help this child grow up. It, you're just kind of checking all of those boxes. But overall, I think the fun is or the film is is pretty fun and uh, it's it is like you said this kind of nice easy watch and and for that I, I do appreciate it. I've been seeing a lot of uh, comparisons uh, to Studio Ghibli when when talking about this film, which I think is is interesting and there's some merit to it, but I don't know that I fully fully agree with that simply because because this film is so again it's so pleasant and it's very committed to kind of just having that that easygoing vibe to it I think there's there's a thinness to a lot of it that I kind of wish had been flushed out a little bit more so you mentioned the you know at the beginning kind of ticking off the boxes of, okay, you know, here's the overprotective parents trope. Here's the free spirited friends trope. Here's the, you know, the youngster who has big dreams and is timid and feeling a little bit stifled, like all of it's there. And we've, we've seen it all before. Um, but, and I think that that would be, you know, that, that would be more excusable, I guess, if there had been maybe more effort, uh, put into really, more fully realizing uh, Luca's surroundings, but we don't really spend enough time in this underwater world to really understand what it is to be a sea monster. We don't really see a whole lot of other sea monsters in this film. Um, there's not really a sense of how, you know, what relationships outside of the family these the members of Luca's family actually have. Are, are they completely isolated? It's just... It's not clear, and I think that flushing that out a little bit more strongly would have, in, in turn, flushed out the stakes of uh, Luca's desire to kind of go to the surface and and partake in this wider world. Uh, and in doing that, it probably would have completely eliminated the need at all to have this subplot about this triathlon race that the boys are roped into trying to win with a, a local a local girl who's who befriends them and they're the bully who is constantly dogging their steps it's just that part feels beside the point this is a film that's about you know trying to fit in find friendship explore a wider world realize your dreams all of that's here and that's what's really interesting to me when i watch luca 
the stuff about winning a race feels like it was put there because that's kind of what a screenwriting formula dictates would go there. And just it's a whole lot less interesting than what's going on at an emotional level in this film. I, I like the triathlon stuff. It's just kind of maybe it's just a personal thing, but I like the the goal within the overall structure of the plot. And I was thinking it was going to be something kind of aimless. Uh, I figured that at the beginning of the movie, the character was going to go to the depths of the sea, which is kind of his punishment. His parents are going to take him there and allow his uncle to take him there. And I thought the film was going to stay there for a little bit. And then we were going to get to some of those other cliche moments. And I wouldn't say that this triathlon race is unique, but it is fun. And I think with a breezy type movie like this, like Luca, uh, I, I I think it works okay. And they add a nice little spin to it. So you got to swim, uh, you got to ride your bike, uh, but then you've got to eat a lot of pasta. And it, that goes into the cliches that they have around the Italian culture. And that's probably another conversation, but it, but it's just, it, it's a fun, it's a fun way to work with these characters. And the kind of main goal for these individuals on the surface is an opportunity to buy a Vespa because the Vespa equals the freedom. Uh, but then they realize that that's, really not exactly what they need. And I think some of the deeper ideas even work here too. It's this idea of we want to be free. These characters want to be free to kind of just do whatever they want. And they actually find a lot of freedom at the end by working within relationships, uh, even being constrained by certain institutions willingly, because that brings about a greater joy for them. So it is a movie that's a bit more complicated than it seems at the surface. I don't want to make it sound like it pours everything into those ideas or those themes, but I think they're, they're there. And, and yeah, I mean, I think it's fun and I, I like the race and I think the conflict at the end, the kind of the big climax of the movie is, is weak. Uh, it is underdeveloped. And so I would have liked to see something more there, something bigger, a little more impactful there. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't know if it necessarily needs something bigger or more impactful there simply because in a way the so so obviously, you know, the big race is the the natural climax that they've set up for the story. But to my mind, the the real climax, the the emotional climax of the film, or at least the the moment where the the conf, the real conflict becomes crystallized and really gets some teeth to it is an earlier scene um kind of probably at the beginning of the third act um where uh the there's the simmery conflict between uh Luca and Alberto his friend that kind of comes to a head and it results in uh both of them making choices that seem almost like a point of no return one of them calls the other one out in a way that is so genuinely hurtful and and such a betrayal but in a way that is, it's both, you, you understand both why that choice was made and also how deeply it cuts. And the filmmaking in that moment is is really strong. The scene occurs at sunset, so the, the light is getting dimmer. 
uh, and we we witness the the expression of hurt on one character's face as they're sort of backlit by the sun, so they're kind of in shadow. And it's very it's it's a very effective scene. And I think that that's kind of where the heart of the movie is, is, you know, these these two characters both wanting somewhat different things out of this new life on the surface and trying to work out where their friendship fits into into that jigsaw puzzle. I think that's fascinating. And the moments where the film leans into that are obviously its strongest. The moments where the bully is just kind of being a generic bully feels (laughs) again, it just feels like. Yeah, I, I want. I, I'm waiting for those parts to end so we can get back to the good stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think, I think the end of the movie should have included some of those themes that you talked about in that scene. That was pretty good. I, I think the conflict, it kind of comes a little quickly at the beginning of that third act, and we need it to be fleshed out a bit. But I think that is the core. That's the emotional heart of the movie. And if if the film could have infused that within this big bike race a little bit more, and they do it in a way, uh, I think it would have worked better than it did because it just kind of comes out of nowhere. And and you've got that that bully who's this, like you said, a generic bully. There's really nothing there, and he's even I don't know. He's he's a he's like a jerk, but he's he's not as mean i guess as he could be like they talk about him as this reign of terror and it's like okay so i would have i would have liked to see more or just take him away and make this a race make this just this this move toward a goal and i think that could have been done a little bit better i think some of my favorite sequences are the uh the montages where these characters are exploring life above the surface for the first time. We've got Italian music, uh, or maybe the training montage. I love it. You know, I love a good training montage. And so those, those sequences just feel, they feel joyful. And we get to, uh, we get to see these characters, uh, embrace their friendship. And I think this is a pretty good movie about friendship. And I think it portrays friendship pretty pretty well here and we get to see two characters kind of work through their issues and work through their competing ideologies or their competing goals and the emotion of the film is really drawn from that main relationship and so i think the movie does that uh pretty well over the course of its runtime yeah and a lot of that does have to do with the the strength of the vocal performers that we have playing the the two boys uh jacob tremblay as luca is um just he's he does a, a really good job of creating this character just with his voice of you know a boy who's who really does have strong desires and, and strong ambitions but also has this uh this uh t- timidity to him that uh is feels lived in but also feels like an just a really interesting tension within his character uh, meanwhile, uh, Jack Dylan Grazer as Alberto is, I don't know, maybe my pick for best in show. And it might just be that his character is the most, uh, in terms of the writing, his character is just the most fun because he's, you know, this got this, you know, kind of almost a big brother energy. He's this know-it-all. He's the one who teaches Luca all about the surface and he's got his facts completely wrong, but the utter conviction 
with which he says things like, oh, the moon is just this big fish and all the stars are, are littler fish is just, it's very, it's very amusing. And it's also, it shows that uh, the, the writers of the film, which include uh, Jesse As- Andrews uh, and Simon Stevenson in addition to the, the director himself, uh, just shows a really, um, really good facility with knowing what makes for for good comic beats and and for strong but simple characters. It's just I, I think it's really well done. Yeah, and I think some of the funniest moments too, uh, not only come from that primary relationship, but from some of the side characters. I like Lucas' parents as they are they're searching for him, and they they go from being very cliche and I, their characters aren't fully fleshed out but when they get to the land section of the film uh they're they're, they're pretty funny and then uh a character who helps to take the boys in the father of their friend uh, this grumpy fisherman i think he does a lot with uh just kind of the the few scenes that he has and and that brings some humor and some emotional heft to the story. So I, I do appreciate a lot of what's happening. And it's fascinating, too, that you mentioned how this is not one of those high-concept Pixar movies. And it's certainly not one of their best either. Uh, but they, they are tapping into something that they really don't do too often, a simpler story that concentrates on relationships. And I think I'd, I'd be interested in seeing more of that. And then too, like you said, even if they did scrub out some of the plot and allowed us to just explore with these characters, I think that would be fascinating as well. So I, I do appreciate what Pixar is doing, even if it doesn't feel as adventurous as some of their previous projects. I, I do think they are they are examining new avenues for their stories. And, and I think it could lead somewhere really great in the future. Yeah. Well, to go back to the, the studio Ghibli comparison, you know, if, if this film made me think of, of any, any Ghibli film, it would probably be my neighbor Totoro, mostly because um, Totoro, I think one of its strengths is that really captures, you know, what, what it's like, what it feels like to be a kid. Not just you know uh, you know how these particular kids uh, meet the the challenges they face, but also just kind of like what it's like to be in a new place and be a kid and kind of just experience a a new wor- a world that's new to you as a child. And I think Totoro just does that in in a way that feels both both honest. You know, the, the kids aren't preternaturally smart or or witty or clever. They're just little girls, and and yet the the specificity of the way they uh, interact with the world around them feels uh, feels whimsical and and true. Uh, and Totoro, of course, doesn't really have a villain in it. If if the if it has a villain, the villain is cancer. But you know, it's it's not really that's not the point. The point is more just you know, as a as a kid, what's what's it like to be in this new environment and kind of what are the little bits of color around the edges of their experience that really fully inform and make that world feel lived in. And I feel like Luca at times really does approach that in, in the, the friendship dynamics, the way that um, these two boys just, you know, immediately bond. Uh, and then the, the introduction of, 
of uh, the the local girl into the relationship and how that friendship creates tensions in their own friendship. That feels all very, very true again. And I think that the film really just, that's really all it needed. And um, I'm interested to see if future Pixar films will kind of maybe let that breathe a little bit, not worry so much about having a big conflict, but just be more interested in creating characters and then allowing the audience to be brought into those characters' worlds with all of its unique textures and weird quirks. Yeah. No, and I I, I get that. And, and two, th- this is a film about acceptance. And the movie movie allows that to happen really easily and we get we get a pretty easy ending one character does say you know it doesn't really matter how far they go or how many people do accept them not everyone will and so maybe leaning into that a bit more uh, could just that kind of uncertainty could probably help pixar uh, a bit as well listeners that is our review of Luca, it is currently streaming on Disney Plus, and recently some of the newer Disney Plus releases have required an extra charge, premium access. This one uh, doesn't, so anybody who has a Disney Plus account can watch it. We'd love to get your thoughts. If you do see the film, you can tweet us at C Belief Pod at C Belief Pod. You can also email us Seeing and Believing CAPC at gmail.com. Kevin, we've reached the end of our episode. This is the part of the show where we recommend something from the world of television and or film to our listeners. What would you like to recommend today? So speaking of low-key movies that don't really feel the need, that are, you know, they're about one thing, but it's more important about how it's about it than the specifics of the plot. Uh, I'm thinking of a fun little uh, indie mystery that I saw about about 10 years ago at the Chicago International Film Festival. Uh, it's titled Cold Weather and it's directed by Aaron Katz. And this is just kind of this scruffy movie about a guy who uh, moves to you know the rainy land of the you know the Pacific Northwest. He gets kind of the, this menial job and you know makes friends, uh, reconnects with an ex-girlfriend who then subsequently disappears. And uh, this character, this protagonist, his uh, new friend and his sister kind of have to work together, to figure out, well, why, why, did the, why did this woman disappear? What happened to her? Why can't we get a hold of her anymore? And, you know, it's kind of in a different mode. It would be kind of a noirish movie, but this isn't noir at all. It's just kind of a, an indie dramedy that is also a mystery. It's just got a really interesting vibe to it that I really enjoy a lot. It's low stakes in the sense that there's not a whole lot of car chases or gunfights. And the focus is mainly on the relationship between the protagonist and his sister. But yet it's just it's amusing to see kind of amateur gumshoes with an emphasis on the amateur part of of that description. So. Uh, if you're looking for something just, that's just kind of an agreeable little mystery, uh, Aaron Katz's Cold Weather from 2010 is a good one for you. I have not seen it, but that's a fascinating recommendation. I, I need to check it out. My list keeps growing a little bit bigger. I'll add it to my 
my letterbox uh watch list but yeah no that's that's a that's a really good pick and um uh yeah i i uh i approve of this message (laughs) (laughs) so we've been talking about italy and and even cliches and it, it sounds weird to recommend a film from italy but I, I do want to do it, and I have a reason uh, for doing it, and it's not just because uh, Luca is set in Italy and this film is set in Italy, but because it's fascinating to look at the way Italy is portrayed in Luca. Uh, sunshine, I, I, I talked about how I would love to visit this village if it were a real village, and I'm sure there are villages like it. There are small cities like it. I would love to go there. In contrast, uh, the streets, the city in Michelangelo, uh, Antonioni, his film, uh, I hope I'm pronouncing this, Lee Eclise, uh, it, it is, it, it's the opposite. Uh, that, those streets and those cities are uh, desolate. Uh, isolation is a prominent theme in that film about two two individuals, a couple that are just not really meant to be. And if you look at the scenes in Luca, there are characters kind of all around the village square. There are scenes in this film, though, uh, where no one's around and where these characters are just kind of walking down the street. They're completely bare. And it's fascinating to understand or look at the stereotypes that we have placed on certain countries. And we've joked about it. um, But to examine those... And um, to look at the stories and the way we perceive countries and the way that countries wrestle with their own identity. And I think because of that, I recommend uh, this film. So from 1960, uh, Lee Eclise, uh, really good film, uh, unique film. It's not for everybody, but I think most people should, should give it a watch. Yeah, Antonioni is actually a big blind spot of mine. I'm, I don't think... I'm trying to. I'm trying to think. I I'm, I may have seen only one of his films, and this isn't one of them mm-hmm. for sure. So it sounds really intriguing. I'll have to add that to my list as well, uh, and maybe just have to one of these days just sit down and and power through a whole bunch of Antonioni's films because he is a giant, not just of uh, Italian cinema but of of world cinema. And it's probably a little bit shameful that I'm not as well versed in his work as as I should be, so that's a good recommendation. Well, and and I don't know if you, it'd probably be a good idea to power through all of his movies at once, um, but they're definitely <laughs> fascinating, and it is fascinating to see uh, just this film and its influence on something like Master of None. There are a number of references in the Netflix television show Master of None, especially season two, and we talked about that on the show years ago. Uh, direct references, and I believe they watch, some of the characters watch this film, I think, in one of the scenes. So yeah, it's there. Listeners, we would love to get your thoughts either on our picks or our review of Luca. Once again, you can tweet us at Pod at Pod. You can also email us, seeingandbelievingcapc at gmail.com. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. It's brought to you by ChristandPopCulture.com. Our producer is Jonathan Clausen, who every week helps us to search for the sacred on screen. I want to let our Patreon listeners know, go ahead and check out our Patreon feed on patreon.com. We've got a review up from Bo Burnham's Inside, his Netflix special just hit recently. So if you are a subscriber, 
a Patreon supporter, you can check out that episode. For everyone else, we'll see you next time. I'm Wade Beard, and my co-host is Kevin McLenathan. And until later, this is Seeing and Believing. We'll see you later. You have been listening to Seeing and Believing, an official production of the Christ and Pop Culture Podcast Network. Please rate and review the show in iTunes and check out our other shows at christandpopculture.com slash network. Theme music by Alexander Osborne and Lindsay Miz, used under Creative Commons License 3.0. This episode was brought to you in part by Wheaton College's M.A. in Humanitarian and Disaster Leadership, which prepares Christian professionals to serve others faithfully and excellently. Called to help people facing disasters, human trafficking, poverty, or displacement as refugees? Visit wheaton.edu hdl.